Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 82 of Life and Lessons. Now, just before I get into the intro, I have to apologize. This intro here is recorded on uh, anything but my usual setup, so it probably sounds a bit shit, but I'm going to keep it quick. Stick with it. The episode itself sounds completely normal, and as you would expect, you just need to make it through the next 90 seconds in which I tell you that this week you're going to hear a conversation which was originally recorded for Peter Watson's podcast, Behind the Journey. You probably already know Peter from episode number 62 of this podcast, but a couple of weeks ago we sat down again and we had a conversation which covers all sorts. From what it was really like being thrown onto national TV at the age of 16 on the BBC's Young Apprentice and how that informed some of my questionable decision making in my teens and early 20s to why I quit social media, caffeine and alcohol, why it's so empowering to be as honest and transparent as possible in both business and life and so much more. Now, I know Peter well, and so because of that, this conversation just flows. The microphones could have been switched off, the software not recording, and it would have been the exact same conversation. It's one that I really enjoyed, and I think that you're going to enjoy it as well. But just before then, if you are new here, do make sure that you're subscribed to Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you're listening right now. There are so many more great conversations just like this one coming your way and I don't want you to miss them. But in the meantime, here it is. Episode number 82 of Life and Lessons with Peter Watson. Hello guys and welcome to another episode. This one for me is going to be one of my favorite episodes and for so many different reasons. I bring on to the show Sean Spooner. Uh, Me and Spooner have been friends for a very, very long time. I don't even know when we met, I can't remember. Um, But it's been one of those people that's been on the journey with me the whole way through. And if any of you are out there, you know, young entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you'll find that many of your kind of close friendship circles when you're getting kind of when you're coming through the ranks they just don't understand what it's like to be a business person sean's been one of those people that i've been able to turn to when i've ever had a difficult challenge or ever had a question regarding business things um i also um do a podcast with spooner and adam horton called undeveloped thought which is always a great chat and a great bit of banter so welcome to the show spooner hello it's good to be here it's weird to have this formality of recording a conversation but nonetheless it's going to be fun I think it's even even funnier whenever we speak is because we always like chinwag for about half an hour before and about life. And then it's like, oh, shit, we've got this podcast we've got to do now. It's, <laughs> let's, let's try and be serious. We actually had a really interesting chat just then actually before. And I think we uh, we actually should probably do that for another conversation for another day because I think what we were discussing there, um, just for everyone listening, we were discussing vaccines, side effects, and uh, mental health, et cetera, which I think is probably going to be a topic for another day. I want to use this podcast really as a way for you to be introduced to Spooner, understand what he's about and and go from there really. Um Spooner, let's go right to the start, mate. Let's go right, right back. And you know, you, you know that I'm like with podcasts. I always try and I always talk longer than I should. So I want to just pass you the microphone and just watch you do your thing. Tell me about your first business. Tell me about your upbringing. Give everyone a bit of an insight of who Sean Spooner is. So I've I've got this down to a T now. I've done so many podcasts that I can almost uh, refine 10 years of my life into about two minutes. So let me try and do that. So uh, I was never very academic in school, didn't really listen to lessons, could never see the end point uh, of why I was learning about like longshore drift and bunts and burners and how to play cricket, right? It just made no sense to me. But one subject that I really was interested in was business. And there I was sat at the front of the business class, putting my hand up, trying to answer every question, just being like the business teacher's pet. And next to me was a guy called Lewis, Lewis Porter. Um, And we very quickly realized that we had a lot in common in as much as we both liked business. We both didn't like school, but we were in school. So we may as well have made something of it. And so we decided that we wanted to start a business together. And so after a few weeks of umming and ahhing about what that business should be, because we did it completely the wrong way around, we decided we wanted to start a business, then work from there. we both realized that we kind of backed our town. So the school I went to was a split between people from Corby and then people from like Kettering and all the surrounding villages. And at the time, Corby had a stereotype of being a shithole, frankly, because at the time it was. But there was lots of regeneration going on. And so we wanted to shout about the good story of Corby 
uh, and decided to make a magazine all about it. And so there we were, two 14-year-old kids um, walking to local businesses, trying to get advertisers to tell them that we were going to create and print a magazine and that they should give us their money and trust us to do so. And remarkably, we did it. We published eight printed editions over two years. Uh, we met a guy called Ian who was very good at PR. So he built this story around us being the world's youngest publishers, turned into this huge news story, uh, national news, international news, just a bit crazy. So we accidentally became these like figureheads of young entrepreneurship. But then Lewis moved to London uh, just after his GCSEs. And so I was stuck in this small town without a business partner, without a business, but with a desire to do something. And so as I say, almost every week now, these exact words, I did what any lost and confused young entrepreneur would do. And I went on to the BBC's Young Apprentice. Um, very long story short, spent two weeks on there having just run a publishing business, got fired by Alan Sugar on a publishing task. And so I went on to do the next logical thing, which was start another publishing business. Uh, that time around, it was called Magnet. It was essentially the Corby magazine business model taken. We put steroids into it. We put it in London. We just made it bigger. Uh, and we ran that in print for free issues, interviewed the likes of Sir Richard Branson, Boris Johnson, a few other big names. I uh, got some really good advertisers. It was around that time that I realized that I was better at creating hype than I was actually doing the work. And so that was the early inklings of me realizing that I quite liked this marketing thing and I quite liked working with the advertisers from Magnate. Um, as Magnet was drawing to a close, it just kind of fizzled out because it was a very hard industry to be in, particularly in the capital city. Um, I was speaking to a guy called Richard. He and I were passing each other freelance work. I uh, got introduced to a third guy called Alex. Alex is an incredible developer. Richard is a big people person. And I was okay at copywriting. I was okay at design at the time. So we realized after about a year or two that we had the bare bones of an agency. That agency turned into a business called Dream. Uh, we started really cracking at it formally maybe four years ago. And then this time last year, for a very long story, we rebranded to Pata. Uh, and here we are now. I think the most amazing thing with all that story um, for me, for anyone listening kind of at home, is that you've essentially failed so many times. And the thing that I love about failure is you can always see, and I always believe this, you can always see the people who are successful at what they do when they are so happy and open to discuss their failure. And what, what I mean by that is I know so many people, so many people that will always try and hide their failure, but that's because I don't believe that they've got to the place of success just yet. So when, so when you're, sit, you're sat there, you're proudly discussing your, your moments of failure because you know that you're on the right path, you're doing the right thing, making the right, the right impact. One of the things I love about you most, Spooner, is the fact that you always have these secret nuggets of knowledge and you know like like even before when we were talking before this podcast you kind of brought out this phrase i can't remember what it is now because my memory is so bad but you bring out these little phrases and i'm like okay spooner knows his stuff and what i want to go back to really is you know during all of this process of starting these businesses at a young age going on the apprentice etc when did you really realize that you kind of wanted to learn more know more research more etc so it's really interesting that you seemingly accidentally connected those two points because they are so related you wouldn't believe um from the point onwards where we were like on national tv with uh what was it called corby magazine forgot the name of my own business there uh through to being on the young apprentice and then you inevitably get interest from like talks actually that's how we met isn't it i did a talk for you um i was trying to build myself up to be this kind of business guy this young entrepreneur um doing talks tweeting doing everything i could to try and get attention but behind the scenes i was never really progressing like on paper the businesses look good right big names big claims but they weren't actually i mean let's start here they weren't profitable so in a sense they weren't businesses right and i had this kind of quarter life crisis around my 21st birthday where i realized that actually I was going down this very dangerous path and it's a path that many others have continued down since I took a left turn, which is I was going down this path of trying to be the end result. We always speak about this, but trying to be the end result without putting in the work. And there was no easy way out of that path other than to just shut the fuck up and become the real deal. And so I didn't say a word for about three years. It was about two years ago now that I maybe made my first IGTV 
video, which kind of led on to my podcast and so on. But there was a three-year period where I was just silent. I was heads down. I was trying to learn as much as I could. I was trying to learn who I was as a person. And I'm still on that journey, but I'm getting some way there. And I was trying to build a real business. And I said to myself, and I actually stuck to this commitment, I said, I will not book another talk anywhere. It doesn't matter how big, how small. That was my barometer, the public speaking. I will not book another one until I, until I feel like I have something to say. And having something to say was, of course, a byproduct of all of the learning that I had to go on. I think it was February last year was the next talk I did after the, the kind of cutoff point all those years back. So it was a long process. And that was just the beginning. But yeah, I think it's one of those ones where, though I didn't learn much in school, um, I kind of went to the top of the ego mountain and had all this press coverage and all this stuff and then almost had a, an identity crisis where I'm like, who the fuck actually am I? What do I know and what do I do? Because I couldn't answer that question. And so that's kind of what spurred me on to go and learn stuff so that I could learn who I was, what I can do, and also just as importantly, what I can't do. I, I, I love what you're saying there. I think that every single every single young business owner or the majority of young business owners right at the start believe they have to pretend they're something to become a successful, this whole fake it till you make it thing. I think many people lose themselves along the way, which is why having connections like yourself, et cetera, and like mates like you, you and Horton, et cetera, are, are perfect to have. There's a, there's a business owner, I won't name their name. You probably will know who it is when I mention this, the scenario I'm about to mention. She's gone from amazing, amazing, amazing success pretty much overnight. And she put tweets out and Instagram posts out the other day saying she's lost who she is. She doesn't know who she is anymore. She feels like she's got anxiety, la, la, la. And I feel that the reason that that's happened to her is the same path that we've all been on, right? I started business when I was 16. You started when I was 16. We had these realizations at 20, 21. I had mine about 18 or 19. Everyone has these realizations. She's having hers now in the public domain because she's had such rapid growth and learnings. We all go through it. And we all go to the point where you go, actually, I don't have to take screenshots of bank balances. I don't have to, um, I don't have to wear that flash watch i don't have to do this stupid thing i don't have to hype on on tv when i've got nothing you don't have to do any of this stuff and um, the real win the real success is you don't have to say anything you you, you have to say anything the, 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 the real success is when people come to you naturally and say how did you do that where do i learn that and that's the real win and i think many of us and what you said there we all thought the win was going viral in the newspaper about being the youngest publisher we all thought the real win was being on The Young Apprentice. You know, I, I purposely don't mention The Young Apprentice when it comes to you. On per I purposely don't mention it because you're so much more than just being on The Young Apprentice. Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like the, I've always thought, I was thinking someone the other day about The Apprentice. Oh, Pete, would you ever go on The Apprentice? And I said, I'm so glad I never went on The Apprentice. I applied. I'm so glad I never got on The Apprentice because the first thing you have to do is unconnect yourself from The, the Apprentice. You see what I'm saying? Like that, that's, what, that's what you've had to do. You've, you've really gone full circle. You've gone from thinking the Young Apprentice was going to make you to now I can see it in your fucking eyes. You've, you're the first thing you try to do is dis, dis, kind of dis, you know, connect yourself from it. It's an interesting one about, um, I guess, the, your whole piece there is almost redefining what success is because I had a, a nice full circle the other day. I was in Manchester for a few days over the weekend. Uh, and although we've known each other on Twitter for years, I met with Katty, the creative director of Social Chain over in the US. He was part of the founding team. So he's been there since day dot. And, you know, we, we were sharing notes coming from it from such different extremes, right? We're a five-person business. They're a 130-person business, the agency alone. And then they're huge outside of that in Social Chain group. Um, and I was saying to him that, you know, I always thought I wanted to build a social chain. I don't think that's true. I think I wanted to, this is back on the kind of identity crisis curve. I think I watched the Stephen Bartlett and the Gary Vaynerchuk vlogs and I thought, well, that looks fun. So I need to try and replicate that. I couldn't think of anything worse than running a 130 person agency now. I'm so happy to build this to like 20 people and it to give me the freedom and the happiness and the space to do what I want. Yes, a bit of money comes along with that, but I think it's so important for everyone in business but particularly young people in business who, let's face it, we are as a cohort more impressionable to just really stop and think and spend a lot of time and a lot of thought to understand what is success for you. Because I was trying to borrow someone else's version of success for years. And let me tell you, it's fucking miserable. I've never been happier now. And yet 
I've also disconnected from the idea that we're ever going to be a 130 person business because frankly, we're not. And it was just, it was nice to almost say that to the face of someone from social chain. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I thought that we were trying to build this. We're not. And I'm so fucking okay with that. I was out with, uh, with Brad, um, we're having, I think it was like dinner on like Sunday or whatever it was. And, um, I said essentially the same piece that you've just said there, which is, you know, we're about 17, 18, give or take us distract. And I said pretty much the same thing. It, I, I, and I, I say this a lot, I've said this to you before, you know, I'm happy with this forever. You know, if distract was this forever now, uh, I would see that as a win. Um, and, and Daniel Priestley says something really interesting. He tweets it every now and again, something along the lines of, would you rather have a lifestyle business where you don't have to work too hard in it and make half a million quid a year profit? Would you rather have a, I can't really call it like, you know, a superstar business that makes you 1.5 million quid a year, but you've got to work pretty much every single day. You've got two, 300 staff. And for me, it's obvious. For me, it's absolutely obvious. You know, the the 3x of income at that point really doesn't really make much difference. Um, and the lifestyle, time, et cetera, you're going to get from, from that is far, far greater. And I'm the same. I remember having, and Bradley goes, well, I told you that at the start, because he did. I remember right at the start, I said, I want to grow 200 person agency. I want to grow this thing to be an absolute machine because we all are idolizing the wrong things at the start. At the start, when we we're 17, 18, 9, 20, 21, we're idolizing Bartlett, we're idolizing Vaynerchuk, we're idolizing these big kingpins because they look like they're absolutely smashing it. But really, when you lift up the hood and you go, actually, Don McGregor wants to jump in for the train, right? Let me get real about it. Um, you actually go, hang about here. I haven't wanted to do that. I don't know the people who are the same sort of size business I've got. I haven't got the pressure that he had. Maybe I don't want the 200 staff. Maybe I don't want the, you know, all the problems that comes with. So, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying there. I think that that's one of the biggest realizations any entrepreneur goes through is, and it's not settling. That's a key thing. Many people might think that it's not settling. It's understanding and realizing that actually the great that you thought was great isn't great. The grass isn't always greener. And I think that's a really, really important um, important thing to lie on. One of the things that I want to talk to you about um, has been your podcast. Um, and also I've got a question. Um, are you going to write a book? I'm so fucking ready to write a book. I'm not actually ready. I've always wanted to write a book and I know exactly how I'm going to do it. Um, when I'm going to do it, I don't know, probably four or five years from now. Um, but yeah, there's, oh, it's going to be a banger of a book when it comes. The reason I asked that question is because someone jokingly said in the office the other day that when I started a podcast, Spooner started a podcast about a year later. Yeah. And, and they said, after they read your, your foreword in my book, they said, is he going to write a book next as well? <laughs> to be fair it's it's not it's not an unfair comparison in as much as i speak a lot about you needing case studies of people around you to literally copy as bad as that sounds right but you are ahead of the curve compared to me when it comes to everything from a business metric right you're also older than me and you also started this whole like speaking your mind publicly earlier than me I would be lying if I didn't say that seeing you do it, somebody I know personally didn't give me the courage and didn't give me a tick in a box to say, yeah, maybe that is a good idea. Um, I can't give you credit for the book one because I've had this book idea in my mind for so long and it's going to be a banger. But yeah, I don't think it's an unfair comparison. So thanks for stroking the ego. Um, <laughs> how, so how are you going to write this book? What's going to be so unique about it? I don't think it will be unique. So it will essentially be a, a near carbon copy, not that I've read it, of um, Tools of Titans, is it? I've um, read about it. Is it Tim Ferriss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In as much as I feel like outside of business, I'm just a fucking sponge of information. Like the amount of pointless stuff, and not pointless, but like only useful in a particular situation. The amount of stuff that I've soaked up and learned. Love listening to podcasts, love reading books, love kind of probing at my own thoughts and trying to connect thoughts and so on. I wish that there was somebody who wrote a book aimed at people in their young 20s which is almost like a guide of how to get your 20s right because nobody talks about that mm. everyone talks about like career success you don't get that in your 20s everyone talks about like starting a family you generally don't get that in your 20s financial advice well most of that isn't relevant in your 20s some of it yes like start investing now and so on um but i almost want to before my 20s are out i want to create almost like a handbook to the shit i wish i knew when I was that idiot 21 year old spending money on credit cards, trying to be Billy Big Balls and actually just flaking my life away. I do remember seeing you um, in your early 20s, um, taking all these lavish pictures of you in these nightclubs. And I, I do, I do, and I don't take this the wrong way, mate. 
because uh, I didn't know you particularly well back then. And if this was in this scenario now, I would 100% pick the phone up and be like, what the hell are you doing? But I remember I remember seeing pictures of you in a night full of these bottles, and I just knew that, A, you weren't happy. I don't know if, I mean, you tell me if, if you weren't, but I didn't think you were. A, you weren't happy, and B, I could just tell that you were stretching yourself. Do you know what I mean? You, know, you just get that feeling that someone's like, actually, that bottle you can't quite afford, and I can see it in your eyes. Yeah, for sure. And it's an interesting one because, and this is, me and you agree on this point entirely, which is, and we've actually spoken about this, like just purposely not posting stuff for strangers to see on the internet, right? I was doing things that I thought looked impressive. And the audience of people who were receiving those posts and those tweets were actually looking at me and thinking the exact opposite, I assume, from what you've said and from what I've learned since. They were looking at me and thinking, like, not literally what a fucking clown, but the next best thing, right? We all know, because we all know them. We all know when people are overstretching or being disingenuous or inflating numbers or doing any of these things. And yet I was doing many of those things in the hope that I looked like the guy I wanted to be. But actually, you don't get there by trying to look like the guy. You get there by doing fucking work. And that's messy. I think that when we, and, this is, and look, the, I, I, like I said before, I think all have to go through this process. I think it's just a fact of life. I did it. I know everyone, I know a lot of people have done it, but I believe when at the time you think by doing, and this is, I think this is a quite interesting point. I think at the time you think what you're doing is to go impress the people you want to impress, but actually impresses the people you don't want to impress. And it turns away the people that you actually want to impress because anyone worth their soul looks at that and goes, I could buy that a thousand times over. Doesn't impress me. But the person you don't want to impress is like, oh my god, that's amazing! It's like, do you think? Do you think you you were only doing that because you're you're on the Young Apprentice? I don't think it was that. I think it was a a combination of, and this is interesting because I've never tried to articulate this before. I think it was a combination of things up until like my 18th or 19th birthday, that kind of time, right? So like 14 till 19, where when you're really young and trying to do stuff in business, it's almost like when your three-year-old kid paints you a picture and it's shit and they say, you say, oh, it's brilliant. Do you know what I mean? Everyone was pointing and saying, oh, you're doing a really good job. You're amazing. You're doing great. And so there was this like tidal wave of expectation that I felt like was behind me. But I was still like 19. I was still 20. And that means that I just hadn't had the time under tension to become the person that I thought people thought I was. And so I was trying to live through this kind of imagined person that didn't exist it didn't exist in other people's minds um but i thought it did and that just leads you to do i wouldn't say stupid things because none of it was extreme right mm, like yeah, yeah. 20 year olds do dumber shit these days like people spend 250 pounds on a t-shirt that's just madness to me but nonetheless i was doing things that were just silly and short-sighted and for the wrong reasons and i think it's because i felt like i was expected to i was trying to be successful um because I fought other people for what I was. Does that make sense? No, and I, I get that. And you you actually, your forward in my book is probably better than the book. Um, <laughs> but because it, it, it you basically summarize what you just said there in the forward. Um, and I think you can actually read that forward for free on the Amazon preview thing. So if anyone's listening to this and you want to see the forward, just go to the niche influence and then just hit the the preview and read it. It's a, fan, it's a fantastic forward. Um, there's a couple of things I want to discuss regarding, I mean, you know, I really believe over the last six to 12 months, you've almost kind of made it your part-time job to speak to interesting people. You know, you spoke to some really interesting people over the last six months. Um, who's been the most ex- interesting and, and what are the biggest lessons you've learned from those people? I so badly want to avoid the cliche answer that, you know, I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, the most interesting was Chris Williamson, but only because he is the guy who has spoken to every interesting person you could possibly imagine and so in a similar way to what i've been trying to do for the last few years of kind of accumulate accumulate knowledge and then splice it together to make it make sense for me he's been doing that on scale and so having an hour to sit down with him having listened to near to 300 of his podcasts and just ask him the questions i've always wanted very interesting but to give you a more useful answer almost every guest i've spoken to and there haven't been that many so far, right? It's been about 10, but from you to Chris Williamson to Ben Pearson, police interceptor, had PTSD, like a, a, a big old mix of people. It's so interesting that the lessons that they share and the lessons I take away from it, and hopefully the listeners of the podcast take away from it, are all the same every single time. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing, how old you are, what industry you're in, what you've been through in life. People come out of the same four or five things, which is like, 
live within your means, try and get to know yourself better, treat those around you a bit nicer, like believe in yourself. All of these things are so cliche, but it's no mistake that every single person who has found success in their own right says the same thing. So in theory, like I never need to record a podcast episode again because I know what I'm going to learn. But back to that point I spoke about of having case studies, hearing it firsthand from people. I come away from conversations like this one. I know the second I'm done with this conversation, I'm going to feel buzzing. I come away from those conversations just feeling buzzing because it's so nice, particularly after the year and a half that we've all had, to just connect with someone on a real level and them to just tell you how it is and try and impart onto you like 20, 30, 40 years of knowledge. I can't think of a, a standout lesson, but it's interesting that all of the lessons are the same every time is what I'd say. What's your opinion? So you've how many episodes of your podcast have you done now? 80 as of today, 8-0. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from doing your own podcast? That we don't articulate our thoughts. We spend no time whatsoever. I say we, uh, we actually fall outside of that because you do a podcast and so do I, but 99.999% of people do not journal and document their thoughts in any sort of meaningful way. And you might be listening to this and thinking, why the fuck would I? Like, I've got to where I am. I'm sat in my car with my house and my wife and I don't like, I don't need to do that. But actually, it's not, it's not possible to know the upside of doing that until you do it. And it's so interesting that we have their stats out there, but I think it's like tens of thousands of thoughts um, every day. Think about the last time that you picked out a thought that you had in a fleeting moment and really drilled into it. Why am I thinking this way? What does it mean? Where did this thought come from? What can I learn from this thought? Do I have this thought often? And therefore, is there something that I need to address to make me happier or healthier? Or do I need to let go of this thought because it's holding me back? And I was only ever going to do 52 episodes of the podcast. I was going to stop. I was going to do it between the age of 24 and 25. I got to episode like 49, 50. So I was a couple away from giving up. And I was like, there's no fucking way I can let go of this. Like going back to not documenting my thoughts, going back to not being critical of how I think and trying to learn from myself. Because that's an interesting thing, right? So much of what we see and hear and think each day is non-conscious. And so I believe that everybody has lots of lessons to teach themselves inside of their own heads that they inherently know if only they were to go looking for them. And we just don't. And so I think I'm basically parroting you because I know that you say this part a lot, but like the person who gets the most value from my podcast is me. It gets like a negligible number of listeners other than guest episodes, they bang, but like sub 100 listeners. And it hasn't grown really since I started. If anything, it's shrunk because people were intrigued for those first few weeks. Do I care? Not at all, because I get so much value from it that I just can't see myself ever stopping. I don't know when I'll stop, if ever. I agree. My um, my ex-girlfriend is uh, one of those sort of like uh, spiritual sort of like, you know, um, and she's absolutely ace, by the way. This isn't a slag. Like, you know, all these spiritual sort of whatevers. And she she used to journal like a lot. And she always used to say that it brings a huge amount of value to reflect on the day. She used to do it weekly or uh, occasionally she'd do it daily, depending on the scenario, whatever she was going through, whatever. But really, she said it was the most the most benefit thing to her was to journal just get a pen and paper at the end of the day and just waffle on on there get your thoughts out get your mindset out move on with your day and she always used to say pete you need to journal and i said look i do journal my podcast is my journal um my podcast is my journal that i can go back to at any point and it's online forever my podcast is the journal where i spit out all the information all my processes and i, and I can compound my thoughts i believe when you're a business owner or entrepreneur you, you're going to such a fast-paced life you know, you, you rarely have long to even make decisions sometimes. It's such fast-paced decisions. And only only when you force yourself down to sit down can you actually process that thought. Can you actually understand why you did it? And there's been so many moments on my podcast, which people would have heard listening to this, where I've had a realization at the end of it, where I've gone, shit. I think there was one about my book, I can't remember what it was, where I literally realized a huge deal that made a lot, made a lot of sense to me. It was about people's perception on you is variating from where they come from, et cetera. And I never thought about that. I'd never even thought about it, but because I was articulating it to myself on the podcast, it worked out wonders. So I'm a huge, huge fan of journaling or podcasting or whatever you need to do. I also believe that um, putting yourself out there as a real person 
does so much for your self-confidence in a way that is bizarre. And what I mean by that is, and I want your, your opinion on this, when you're so real to the outside world, no one can criticize you. What's your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. Um, there is, and I, I say this genuinely, this isn't a figure of speech, like there is nothing that people don't already know about me hiding in a closet anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we're having a bad month as a business, the world fucking knows about it because it's published on Spotify. If mm. I'm having a down week or all the stuff that's going on with my family, if that's like challenging me or if it or if the opposite, if I'm on a high, like people know this stuff. And I'm not sure if this is the point that you were making, but forgive me if not, but it's so empowering when nobody has anything on you because you're just fucking real. And it's it's literally the antidote I needed to all of that nonsense that I lived through years back where like I'm just so honest now, good or bad, that I need to spend no time thinking about what other people think about me because I'm electing to give them that information and do with it what they want, right? Yeah, if you don't, if you don't like the information I'm giving you, we're never going to get on in the first place. So let's move on with our lives. I completely agree. There's, there's, there's so many different things that, that I love about you, Spooner. I love the fact that you're, you, you, you have these random nuggets of knowledge. I love the fact that I've seen you develop and transform over the past, God knows, 10 years or whatever now. Um, and I love the fact you're constantly intrigued. I, I feel like if I ever wanted to know something, Maybe it would be a bit of pointless knowledge, but I would still ask you. And even even the thing at the start before this podcast about the um, placebo, you know, I feel better knowing that's that bit of information. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm like, yeah, that does make sense to me, actually. Yeah, maybe I've been placeboed out of this. Um, you you did something about, I think it was about a year ago, and I don't know if you still do this, so forgive me, where you bought another phone for social media. How, how are you, do you still do that? How did you find it, et cetera? Yeah, so ever since I read Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, which is a banger of a book, by the way, um, I have had this on-off relationship with social media. So it's easy for me to say, oh, I need social media because I run a marketing agency, but that's not explicitly true, right? I don't need to be sat on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever it might be. So I began just under two years ago. I'm losing track of time here. Just under two years ago by quitting social media for a month just to see what that was like. Um, and it was the most amazing, empowering feeling I've ever felt from something that took such little effort to do. Um, it was like, it was literally, this sounds ridiculous, not least because I've never been on a drug, but it felt like what it probably feels like to come off of a drug, like the clarity and sharpness of thought and the kind of background calmness that found its way back into my life was incredible. And so I was completely convinced on the benefits of not using social media too much. Problem is that on day 31, I reintroduced social media and it has a funny way of making its way back into your life incredibly quickly with all of these dopamine releasing devices that are built by the smartest minds on the planet to keep us hooked. And so very quickly I got hooked again and I thought, you know what, this is, it's just not working, right? Everything I know about habits, things like environment design, right? If you don't want to eat excess calories, don't put a fucking cake in your fridge. That seems so obvious, but like, it seems really wacky and left field when I say, if you don't want to be glued to social media, maybe take the apps off your phone. And rather than, I think, George McGill, um, another really interesting guy, you should have him on, actually, he's crazy. Um, but George McGill, I believe, uninstalls or logs out of social media apps, I've heard from his phone, but I thought that just sounds long. Like, maybe that's the point, it's supposed to sound long. But what I do is I just offload all of the social media apps from my phone um every now and then so they're on here right now because my screen time isn't too bad but when it's creeping back in i'll offload them all and then that phone will stay at home when i'm out with my family or it will stay at home when i'm in the office and it's just one of those environment design things where like if it's not there you can't use it and if you can't use it then you're not becoming hooked um it's one so, of those just jump on, in so what you're saying is that basically when you see yourself taking the piss out of, out of it you 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 take it out of your life which then i guess by default means you don't take the piss out of it because you know that if it goes up an hour of screen time then it's gone yeah and i still haven't hit the the sweet spot with it because i still think i habitually check apps too much i know too much is a subjective word but like it just doesn't quite feel right yet um I would love to one day and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I know that we're both very like hyper connected when it comes to like checking messages and so on. I'd love to one day do what Ed Sheeran does, which since 2015, he has not had a phone. Like you can't phone him. You can't text him because he doesn't have a fucking phone and he just lives by email. And he spoke maybe a year and a half ago. Um, the extended interview was released. It was for a little clip that they use in the film somewhere, but he released the extended interview and he spoke about like how he's never been happier 
or actually more connected to people who actually care about him since he got rid of his phone. I'm not at that point in life now, obviously, but one day when I don't have to worry about certain things, I would love to just be like, if you need me, okay. Like this sounds bad, right? But even particular people who phone you all the time, because I'm not a phone call guy, you might be, you're more salesy than me. But like, if you want me to do something or if you were like, just message me and I'll, I'll get back to you when I can, right? I just fucking hate getting phone calls. And so even putting social media to one side, if people would just stop fucking phoning me for a day, I'd be living in bliss. I love voice notes, man. I, I hate messaging. I hate texting. I just find I just find it easiest to voice note. Which is a nice middle ground. He's like, do not send me in a fucking voice note, Pete. I will not respond to it. But I just love voice noting. I just find it easiest to just chat. Because I just chat shit, really. <laughs> I'm so full time. I'm just like a professional chat shitter. Is that even my word? I don't know. Who knows? I have, but- this, I have this funny thing with voice notes. I always say to Dan, um, someone I send voice notes to a lot, there could be a thing that could have been a 12 word message. And yet the second I hit that fucking record button, it's oh, yeah, mate. minutes. And I'm like, where's that come from? <laughs> I'm putting in words that don't even exist. You know what I mean? Like, I'm making words up. That thing's going to be a minute. I have to redo it all over again. <laughs> so literally how it works. Um, so another thing that you've, you've done a lot of is you, you like, you mentioned there with the social media is you sometimes just can things off, right? You, the, I actually tagged you on a tweet the other day where someone said, um, should I, co- can't, so I, so I stopped having coffee or something. And I said, well, Spoon has tried this and said it's a terrible idea. So no, don't. So, so what things have you, have you sacked off in your life and how would you rate them from impact one to three? It's nice that you've given me a one to three scale because I think it's only really three things okay, and thanks. they are alcohol caffeine and social media i've had at least a one month break from all of those caffeine is ridiculous now sorry alcohol couldn't think of the word there it's been so long um alcohol is ridiculous now it's like fucking getting on for four years caffeine i did 28 days in february i picked february specifically because it was the shortest month genius idea and um social media was 31 days um quitting alcohol man it's if i could talk about this for four hours but it was just such a big thing because not only is it something that for me in my personal experience i would say that most people's use of alcohol is completely fine but for me it was just it was wasting time it was wasting money it was stealing my weekends it was stealing my clarity of thought and so on and so when i quit that back on the first of january 2018 um i never intended to go for more than 30 days but the benefits just kind of compounded so it stuck that was like a huge catalyst for positive change because when you have more time, more money, more focus, all of these things, you create this really fertile ground to just kind of try shit out. And that's where all of this came from, truthfully. So that would definitely be up there in the number one spot. Everybody should do at least a hundred days sober at some point in their life. I'm literally actually, I'm actually thinking of doing a course. I fucking hate people who make courses because people make courses on the dumbest shit and they just put like a nine, seven at the end of the price and think it will bang. But I'm genuinely thinking of making a course. I might even do it for free. I don't know. But just like talking about the the structure to put in place to give yourself the best chance possible of having 100 days without alcohol and then do some fucking tequila shots on day 101. You don't need to be a purist like me because I'm not saying stop drinking forever. I'm just saying give it a go once in a while. And it's kind of that philosophy that's extended into these other weird experiments that I do with my life because like caffeine, terrible idea. That's going in number three spot, awful idea. Like I just felt dreadful um, because the... The benefits of caffeine are so high and if used correctly the downsides are so low that i've just never cut out again but how long do you go if you're a coffee drinker without drinking coffee from age like what 14 until you're 82 and die how long will we go in this current world without checking social media probably no more than like an hour how long will you go not knowing how much sleep you're getting right track all my sleep how long will you go without drinking all of these things And it's for the same reason that one month I'm going to try veganism. That'll be a struggle. I'm just going to try it because we live our lives in this kind of tiny little box of like, this is how it's been. Maybe you inherited certain ideas from your parents and then some from your school and your teacher said something and you saw a tweet and you kind of bundle yourself together with this set of correct assumptions, but those assumptions are never tested. Maybe your life will be better without social media but you're not going to know if you don't try. Maybe your life will be dreadful without caffeine, but you're not going to know unless you try like I did. And so they're the three I've done so far. It would definitely be alcohol, most impactful, dropping social media, a close second, and then caffeine, dreadful idea. Um, But yeah, I intend to do more just because 
not all of them will stick. Most of them won't stick, frankly, but it's nice to just know what lives on the other side because most of us will never find out. The I, I, I quit drinking um, from hearing how great it was from you. Uh, and I did it for a year and a half. And it was groundbreaking, literally groundbreaking. Like I said to someone the other day, if I ever start having severe anxiety, um, my business is going under depression or just feel shit in general, the first thing I am doing is stopping alcohol. But like, I almost feel like it's like rule number one is quit drinking. Rule number two is do exercise. I'm pretty sure, and obviously eat well is obviously always there. I'm pretty sure those areas, if you have those three things lined up in your life, I would guess 90% of things will be okay. There's a book by Johan Hari. Um, I keep dropping books in this, don't I? I'm so predictable. There's a book book by Johan Hari called Lost Connections. and I haven't read it in a couple of years, so I might fluff um, more broadly what it's about. But essentially, it is about the seven non-medical or like non-chemical brain-related causes of mental health issues. The majority of them, i.e. seven of the eight, aren't, oh, there's a chemical imbalance in your brain, take these pills and you'll be fine. It's more like, you don't feel connected to the people around you. You don't have a sense of meaning. You're doing this. You're not doing that, right? I think that there is, and look, I am in no way positioned to speak about the rights and wrongs of mental health because frankly, I'm not qualified. But through personal experience, I've kind of felt a bit down at times. I've kind of felt a bit anxious at times. Most, not all, again, important distinction, but most of how we feel eight times out of 10 is within our control. And if we look to our lifestyles, like what you just said, the answers are right in front of us. They did a study, didn't they, about legalizing marijuana, for example, uh, in America. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get onto the debate of where we should or shouldn't legalize marijuana in the UK. Um, but they did a study in America that said, what happens if we gave everyone the ability to smoke marijuana in the UK? And in America, they found that 52% of people who smoked marijuana, um, you know, relaxingly every day or whatever, um, there they basically had anxiety and depression within the, the next 12 to 24 months so like i mean it, that, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the connection between mental health issues and marijuana smoking is definitely there now you could argue my i told my friend this stat who's a massive like you know marijuana fan he said well yeah pete because a lot of people who smoke marijuana are using it to tail their they, they're, they're trying to reduce anxiety and reduce their depression i said well no these people went in without it so I think everything is connected. And um, of course, depending on the mindset you're coming from, you'll come up with a different angle. You'll say, oh, no, I think this will solve it. No, I think this will solve it because of basically who we are. But that's, yeah. But alcohol for me was groundbreaking. The only time, I, the only reason I started drinking again is because when Boris said we're in lockdown, I was like, you know what, mate? I've not had a bottle of red wine in a year and a half. And I could do with one <laughs> right now. But the thing is, like, I, the thing I learned is there's so many good, um, what's the word, like um, alternatives. Like the difference between having a pint of Heineken and a pint of 0% Heineken is nothing. Like There's no difference. Like 0% draft Heineken is fantastic. The difference between a 0% Kopperberg and Kopperberg, nothing. Now, if we go back to when Bex Blue was the only offer, the Bex Blue is shocking. <laughs> it's the worst 0% drink I've ever had in my life. If that's your alternative, I used to walk into like you know places and be like, what you got the 0%? They're like, Bex Blue. I'm like, I'd rather have water. You know, funny um, story about Bex Blue, such a fucking tangent in no way related. But I, back when I did drink, I once on a student night out with people I hardly knew in Sheffield, went into a corner shop and accidentally bought Bex Blue. And ironically, that's probably the most drunk I've ever been because then I was like, oh man, I have no drink. So I was having like a bit of vodka from this guy and a bit of gin from this guy. And man, that was a messy night. <laughs> but the only thing that you couldn't really get a good one was like red wine. You couldn't really, there's no real good red wine alternative. So I was like, I'm going to get a bottle of red wine, Boris lot down the country. And I've just kind of been drinking since then, not not kind of crazily, but um, yeah, I can see myself canning it again soon, just because why not? Uh, it's, a, it's such a life hack. There's such an interesting uh, product, which I haven't yet ordered. I'm probably going to order it literally as soon as we're done with this podcast by a guy called Professor David Nutt. He is the guy who, um, he was like a medical advisor to the government years back. And he was fired for saying something like ecstasy is no more dangerous than riding a horse. Like he's really out there when it comes to like good and bad of drugs and effects and so on. He is working on a brand called Sential, S-E-N-T-I-A, Sentia, I guess. Um, And the concept there, it's in production. So it's real. This isn't conceptual, is that they have created a drink which has all of the uh, like neurological benefits of drinking, i.e. it makes you feel 
uh, like a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of connection without the uh, like psychological and physical downsides. So there's no harm to your internal organs. There's no hangover. There's no anxiety. And honestly, if that catches on, which let's be honest, it probably won't because the uh, the lobbies of the alcohol industry will probably keep it from ever catching on. But I think that would just be such a game changer because the objection I get from people nine times out of 10 when I say I don't drink is oh, I could never do that. And I say, why not? And they say, oh, because I just need a drink to have a good time. And it's not my place to say that they don't. Maybe they do. I certainly did. But if there was a drink that gave you all of those benefits, but didn't ruin the other like three or four things that it has the potential to, that will just change the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely don't need it at all. I didn't need it from day one. Um, I think it's a confidence thing, right? I think it's a confidence thing of, oh, I can't stand on the dance floor and dance next to everyone who's drunk because I'm not drunk. Well, yeah, you can, mate. Like, just, 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 just embrace the process right now. And I, I, I had like a switch, and it sounds really weird, where I could basically flick a switch in my head and pretend I was drunk. Like you feel like you're drunk, but you're not drunk. I don't know if you you do that. I don't know if that is that a real thing? You're nodding. I don't know. So interestingly, right there, the the nights out I've done since i haven't drank i have felt just as drunk in what i think you're describing the same way which leads me to believe entirely anecdotally that lots of what people feel when they're drunk in a club is less to do with what's in their cup and more to do with the fact that they're surrounded by 300 people who are having an incredible time and so mm. it's that energy not to sound all zen but like just a tangible sense of energy bouncing off everyone i'm the same i can i can cut the worst shapes and like sing along to h in a club and have a great time and i'm entirely sober but nobody can see it yeah, I think the problem that the the, the alcohol-free lifestyle gang have is that they come across really forceful. Like um, Dom from Social Chain, or wherever he is now, he's very, very much in your face. Like the UK has a drinking problem, and it's a problem. You have to go to zero. No, you don't. You can you can just take your drinking habit from four to zero to, to, to one. You can just tone it back. You can just not drink every weekend, but drink every other weekend. Like there's, there's, there's ways around it. Um, but that's the problem with it's like the veganism thing, right? There's, there's like the, the veganism's gang out there being like running around trying to like you know free cows. Like it's just, it's just bad for the, it's just no one wants to be one of those, right? It's like everything. So uh, I think they just need a bit more of a moderate stance. Um, let me know when you do the veganism thing. I'll do it alongside you. We'll roll with it together. I feel mm-hmm. I do believe that um, a, a full vegan diet is better than a. I do believe that. It's just that I like having a steak every now and again. But I'm inclined inclined to try it. Like um, I've ate a, lot, ate a lot of veggie stuff. I think corn is like banging. Like Linda McCartney sausages are an absolute thing. Like they have, there's a few things like bacon's terrible, but the corn mints I believe is better than beef mints. There's but a brand called This. Are amazing. There's, I haven't tried it personally, but there's a brand called This T H I S in I think they're in Tesco and Sainsbury's maybe. Apparently their vegan stuff is like so close to identical taste and texture wise that you can't tell um i've always said and you know maybe as vegan food becomes better i may just one day make the plunge but i've always said that if ever i were to think too closely about what's on my plate or what i'm eating i would be like the most hardline vegan just because i'm a bit of a softy do you know what i mean i'd be like oh that what, what happened to a shit like richard my business partner he one of his friends that he grew up with is a farmer and when he tells me like what happens to the animals to get onto the plate i'm like stop fucking talking or else i'll never eat meat again so i'm just kind of like ignorance is bliss in this situation um but maybe maybe i'll do it for 30 days and think actually that wasn't so bad i'll stick at it who knows i did a i was on i was speaking to tim lovejoy the other day and he he mentioned that he interviewed someone regarding um food manufacturing and um the food industry etc and he and the guy he interviewed said the problem with the meat industry is that it's a fundamental backbone of the whole economy and if you if you had two people turn vegan tomorrow, the global economy would absolutely fall by the wayside because it's basically built on us eating meat. Um, so it almost needs to be have a gradual a gradual process of weaning everyone off it. But I think that will happen. I genuinely think, you know, that vegan and vegetarianism will be a thing. It's just that, I mean, look, me being direct, we're becoming more soppy and more left wing as a society. And as you become more soppy and left wing as a society, you remove the hard line. Oh, I like having steak with a fucking beer. Do you know what I mean? Like it just that dweans away. So we will naturally become more vegetarian and vegan. Anyway, uh, I don't know how long we've been, but I know it's longer than a normal episode. So before we wrap up, Spooner, uh, give, 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 give the listeners one bit of amazing advice and then plug an episode of your podcast. So the bit of advice I give to everyone constantly, and you know this because 
I've probably shouted at you 12 times, is just read the book The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And the reason I would say that is because it was my kind of gateway drug into this world of understanding how progress actually works. And I've literally, <laughs> like, literally emailed them once and been like, can I get an affiliate link? Because I've sold so many fucking books for that guy. Um, unfortunately, there, they, there was a long story, but I think like the publisher isn't in touch with the author and all this stuff. But essentially, that book is about um, how the uh, concept of compounding interest from finance can be transferred over into habits and the idea that being just 1% better at anything you pick every day for a year leaves you 37.7 times better by the time the year is out. So much so that I'm actually literally thinking of getting the tattoo of that chart on my arm just to remind me to keep fucking plugging away because if ever there was an important concept to understand in life, I think it is that. So go read that book and Peter's because his book is a banger as well. Great forward too. Um, and yeah, look, if you want to find me, search Life and Lessons on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, I did a, an episode of Peter a few weeks back. It's a good one. He is on fire on it. Uh, or just Spooner Sean, S-P-O-O-N-E-R-S-E-A-N in, in all sorts of places. Who knows what you'll find? Cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening and I'll speak to you all next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.